This is the Mended Pass Podcast with Chadwick Hayward, episode 32. Welcome to MendedPass.com. Let's get back to bedtime. Hi, Path Menders. Thanks so much for joining me for the 32nd episode of the Mended Pass Podcast. It's great to be back after a little bit of a summer break. A number of you had reached out asking when the next episode was coming, and it was awesome to see people that were eager for new content. I'm happy to say the wait is almost over. It's been a busy summer, and I have a few announcements before we dive into this week's episode. So first off, the Mended Pass podcast is now on Patreon. If you haven't heard of it, Patreon is a platform that gives people the opportunity to support those creating content that they enjoy. The Mended Pass podcast is a labor of love of mine and is my gift to the world. As such, I will always provide it for free. With that said, there are real costs of creating and producing a podcast. Now, through Patreon, PATH members have the opportunity to support the show should you choose. Obviously, you're under no obligation to do so. There are, however, some exclusive rewards that I'm offering to patrons as a special thank you to those who choose to join the Society of PATH Menders on Patreon. Head over to www patreon.com that's p-a-t-e-r-o-n.com forward slash mended pass now so you can show your love and check out the cool rewards a link is provided in the blog post accompanying this episode announcement number two i know that the mended pass podcast provides motivation for people in their own journeys back to better for a lot of people this is enough for them for others however they're looking for just a little bit more help a partner in their health journey Well, I'm pleased to announce that I will now be providing health, nutrition, and life coaching services. Together, we can build a custom plan tailored to your needs and objectives. You can check out menditpass.com forward slash coaching to learn more. Or as always, you can always email me at chadwick at menditpass.com. Announcement number three. I'm very proud to announce that Mendit Pass Spices are now available online. I make a line of high-quality, no-salt-no-sugar, herb-and-spice blends that are guaranteed to take your whole-food, plant-based meals to the next level. You can also get your hands on organic turmeric capsules that you know has had its bioavailability boosted with black peppercorn, of course. These aren't an extract. No way. Here you'll find the full wonders of the whole-spice turmeric in all its antioxidant and anti-inflammatory glory. You can also grab a Mended Pass podcast t-shirt from the new online shop while you're at it. And finally, I'd like to announce, that's it for announcements. Time for the part you've all been waiting for. This week on the Mended Pass podcast, I'm honored to be speaking with the plant-based dietitian, Miss Juliana Heaver. Juliana is the author of the best-selling book, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, The Vegetarian Diet, and co-author of The Complete Idiot Guide to Gluten-Free Vegan Cooking. She was the host of Z Living Network's What Would Juliana Do? Honestly, she has done too much to mention it all. But to give you a taste, she has been featured on The Dr. Oz Show, The Steve Harvey Show, she's done a TED Talk, and she's been published in medical journals, such as with her 2016 article, A Physician's Guide to Plant-Based Diets. It's an awesome read, you should check it out if you can. She was also a special consultant on that little old documentary, Forks Over Knives, and contributed to both Forks Over Knives books. Juliana received her bachelor's degree from UCLA and a master's of science and nutrition at California State University, Northridge, where she also completed her dietetic 
internship. So, without further ado, let's get started. Hi, Juliana. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Chad. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. It's such an honor. I hope to leverage your expertise and share some uh, nutrition information here with Pathmenders. So, um, to jump right into it, you went to school and got a master's in nutrition from California State. Were you always interested in nutrition? Always. One of my favorite subjects from day one. I remember my grandma used to talk to me about nutrition and I would get all excited about it. And I used to play games with my sister. We'd be, we'd be eating cereal at breakfast and she would have me guess how much of each nutrient was in the cereal we were eating. And I was always right. And she was convinced that I was coming downstairs and memorizing the cereal boxes in the middle of the night. But I just love nutrition. Oh, that's awesome. So when you when you went to school, then, uh, like now you're known as the plant based dietitian. So did you know that plant based was kind of the way you were going when you started? Or was that a later development? It was a long, bumpy, twisty, turny journey that started all in so many different directions. So I always loved nutrition. But then when I was around, I don't know, like a teenager, um, I found out about how food ended up on the plate. And I became really passionate about not wanting to contribute to livestock production. And so it came from more of a animal standpoint and not wanting to consume animals. Okay. And, um, but then I was quickly, you know, scared out of that. And so I was exploring that and I didn't really know anybody that was vegetarian and there was no internet and there was, you know, there wasn't a lot of resources back then. So it was basically me trying to find what that meant and what that looked like. You know, I didn't know how to cook yet. My, and my parents thought I was crazy. And so, you know, and then, and then they were, they were worried about me getting my protein and my iron and all the stuff that you still hear about persisting today. And they talked, they scared me out of, you know, sticking with a plant-based diet. And it wasn't until I just, but I knew that it was so much more to this information. And it wasn't until I went through graduate school that I was able to recognize just that it, you absolutely can get your nutrition, that it's actually more health promoting to eat this way. And it just evolved and just it got strengthened and it just became everything about, about 10, 12 years ago. Okay. And so, so it was through your schooling that you really solidified that understanding. Yeah. That's when I got comfortable with all the science behind it so that I was able to answer, well, where do you get your protein and all that stuff? And so I didn't have any more question marks. And I, I learned how to go to the primary research articles and look up information if I ever had a question mark. So that kind of solidified it all for me. Okay. And so was that a focus of the education? Or did you really come to that on your own? Like, what was the paradigm of the education that you were uh, given? Yeah, I get asked all the time, I want to do plant-based nutrition, but how do you do that in school where they talk about, you know, where it's a regular, you know, protocol. And the truth is that most of this information has nothing to do with plant-based versus not plant-based. You know, that education is based on organic chemistry and biochemistry, microbiology, like all these basic sciences that have absolutely no implications whatsoever in terms of how you apply it. And everything that I teach now is completely in accordance with the USDA guidelines. Like everything is all in alignment. You meet all the same nutrition guidelines. So it's basically, it's really just nutrition. It's just that I recommend staying away from animals and getting your nutrients from plants directly. Okay. Yeah. And so, so what in your opinion then, well, I guess not opinion, what does the research say is the optimal diet for people to follow for optimal health? So the question is not what's the perfect diet because there really is no perfect diet. You know, we are biologically adapted to be able to eat all sorts of things. You know, we have been able to adapt 
to live on every continent in all sorts of conditions because our bodies are that adaptable. But what we see in terms of, you know, what's happening over the last century, especially when we started introducing these large uh, portions of animal products and highly processed foods, that our bodies don't withstand that so well. So we can get away with all sorts of stuff until we're in our, you know, after our reproductive prime. So once you're in your 40s and 50s, you know, then your body just doesn't, you don't need to survive anymore. Nature doesn't need you around anymore. So that's when we start breaking down. And this whole thing of chronic disease has just absolutely flipped on its head. It used to be, I think less than a hundred years ago, we died mostly of infectious diseases. And now it's completely, the numbers have literally flipped. And now infectious disease is the opposite of chronic disease. And people are sicker, fatter, more in pain, um, just because of our diets over the last really 50, 60 years. Okay. And so then from, if all these chronic conditions are resulting from diet, um, are you a person that says to just add more of good things? Or do you also say these are things you should avoid? Or like, how do you balance that adding, subtracting type relationship? It's a good question. And there's a lot of different answers to that. There's no question. There is absolutely no question that eating more whole plant foods is healthier. And the more health promoting nutrient dense foods you eat, the more vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices that you put into your life, the, the more nu- nutrition and the more disease fighting elements that you're putting into your, bo- your body. At the same time, what happens is when you swap that out, you're getting rid of these disease promoting compounds that are found in animal products and processed foods, you know, all the saturated fat and heme iron and new 5GC and TMA or carnitine, all these different compounds that you're getting from the animal products, all the sugars and stuff you're getting from the processed foods. When you replace that with nutritious, um, disease fighting nutrients and phytonutrients and fiber that are found exclusively in whole plants, that's a win-win situation. So ideally you're eating only whole plant foods and you know, that's, that's the idea. I mean, in terms of what you said, the research it's, it really it does look like when they compare omnivore to a pescatarian, to a vegetarian, to a vegan diet, the less animal products in the diet, the healthier the outcomes. It seems to be across the board. Okay. And I, I know like with animal products, you're if, if you're eating them, you're risking not only getting the things that are naturally present in there, so the hormones and the saturated fat and the cholesterol, uh, but you're also exposing yourself to toxins and parasites. And is do you have those same kind of concerns if you're eating more from the plant kingdom? Oh, yeah, no, you get to get rid of all sorts of zoonotic diseases and all these, you know, it's, that's one of the other perks. I think of it as a perk of eating plants is that you can leave your food out for longer. You could be in the sun for longer. You don't have to worry about contamination, not even close to as much. I mean, that was a big, you know, we studied that a lot in graduate school. And it's a perk that you don't have to think about it as much. It's just so much easier because most of those diseases, you know, or, you know, opportunities for foodborne infections are due to the animal products is definitely much better in the plant world. And I, I guess that from a, from a scientific perspective, that would be because the bacteria and viruses are in the animals already, which are closer to our kingdom, whereas things that attack plants wouldn't necessarily be able to attack us as readily. We're too far apart. No, well, actually, what really, what it really is, most of the time, it has to do with bacteria that gets in from, usually from feces, from runoffs. A lot of the times that there's contamination in plant foods, it's due to runoff from a factory farm or sludge or stuff that's been found because of factory farming. So it's, it's the bacteria itself 
Um, that just, it's where it ends up, where it ends up that you can consume it where the problem normally is. Okay. And so, so it would be a uh, topical contamination. So rinsing your, your fresh fruits and produce would, would work. Sometimes it just, I mean, there's so many different types of diseases like that. Yeah. I'm far more concerned about what happens to the, with the animal products themselves and what they do in a chronic sort of basis. Those infectious types of things are a concern, but it's nothing compared to the millions of people that die all the time from long-term use of these animal products, just in terms of the food itself, not just necessarily the infectious p- potential that goes along with it. Yeah. The, cro- the chronic diseases that crop up from uh, long-term use. Yeah, say. you want literally diet is now the number one cause of death and disability in the United States. It's surpassed smoking, which is so crazy. It's, it's crazy. So I mean, I, I mean, you literally are what you eat, and you are. We are literally dying from our food. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. So I I know you advocate for a whole food plant based diet, and we we want to focus on the whole as much as possible. But our culture really does still. Uh, delineate, I guess, back to the macronutrients and people want to focus on that. So if we can talk about those for a little bit, um, there's a lot of misconceptions about protein and, and protein requirements and people think you need, uh, need to be overloading your body. What does the science say about how much protein is needed in a diet? The only way we've ever been able to extend lifespan in everything from yeast to primates is by restricting essential amino acids. So the only way to increase lifespan that we know of in terms of food is by having less protein. And people are so concerned about getting enough protein. I, in my 23 years in the health and fitness industry, have never seen a protein deficiency. And I, you know, I speak to physicians all the time, same thing. It just doesn't exist. If you're eating adequate calories, you can't get deficient in this macronutrient. It's a macronutrient. It's not a food group. So, I mean, this is, there is so much confusion about this and it all starts with the marketing and it all starts with, you know, the recommendations, the government recommendations where you look at my plate and it's got, you know, four little things inside this plate. It's got, yeah. it's like, you know, that song, one of these things is not like the other <laughs> because you've got grains, which we all know what grains are. We all know what vegetables are. We all know what fruits are, but protein is not a food group and it just stands out like a sore thumb. And so you know, there's a lot of a lot of misinformation out there and people are really all concerned with getting protein, but it's not something to be concerned about. We're getting way too much protein. That's that's the problem. I know in the past there was a lot of talk about protein combining and the, the science is really coming back uh, saying that that actually may not be a good thing now. It never was a thing. It was actually someone invented this in a book and a magazine. I don't, I don't know which came first. It was either Diet for a Small Planet, Francis Morlepay, but it was also in like a a popular magazine. I'm actually forgetting. I just put that in a, in my, my new book. Um, but, I, but we couldn't figure out which came first because they were both kind of playing off each other. But Frances Moore LePay actually retracted her statement later. It never really came out of science. It was an idea. And if you look at the amino acid score, which is how we kind of look at foods um, to determine its amino acid, you know, you know, how good it is. So um, amino acids are proteins for people that don't. Oh, know. So, pro- so basically amino acids are like the letters that make up proteins. Yeah. So we've got tens of thousands of proteins in our body, but we make the protein. We synthesize a protein and we don't eat protein. We eat foods and break down proteins into amino acids, break them down into their amino acid counterparts. And then we sew them back. We put them back together um, to build different proteins within our body. So yeah, so we don't we don't really eat protein and we don't really, 
you know, we don't, we use amino acids. That's the, the building block. Yeah. And so, but there's typically like with animal based foods, they, they are kind of complete proteins where they're lacking, uh, one of those amino acids, whereas plant foods are usually they're, they're missing one of those amino acids, right? Well, I mean, everything has a different amino acid profile. So there's about 20 amino acids and about nine of them are essential, meaning we need to get them from our diet. And, you know, you get, yeah, you get different ones from different places. There's different combinations depending on what you're eating. But the the truth is that we don't need to have, you know, all of them all the time or at the same time, like that whole concept of food combining. But what I was going to say is if you look at the amino acid profile or scoring, if you compare a potato to 90% lean beef, and you, you consume enough calories of all potato in a day versus all the calories from the lean beef in a day, the potato actually has a better amino acid score than does the lean beef, which is wow. kind of surprising. And that's related to its density as well, right? Its caloric density? No, it's not. It's no. not related to the density. No, nope, okay. it's related to, it's just related to the different types of amino acids and just the profile and the overall, has. yeah, the overall profile. Oh, that's awesome. So jumping to carbohydrates there, I know there's a lot of confusion around that as well, where people kind of lump them all into the same baskets, but a carb isn't a carb isn't a carb. Right. I mean, this is what I'm trying to do with all of my books and journal articles, like my mission right now, my lectures, everything I've been focusing on is to get rid of this language. If we could stop using carbs, proteins, and fats as descriptors, it would change the research. It would change people's understanding because, again, a carbohydrate is not a food group. It's one of those three macronutrients. And, you know, the problem with the research, like when you say the whole saturated fat is bad compared to carbs and they lump all the carbs together. But if you look at actually what they're looking at, they're looking at highly refined processed foods that have that are high in carbohydrates like sugars and flours and stuff like that. Yeah. But the question has to be compared to what? So if you look at foods that are really high in carbohydrates naturally, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and legumes, those are four of the healthiest foods you could possibly put in your body. They're like, have the most nutritional bang for your caloric buck, and they have the most phytonutrients and fiber of all those other foods. So they are, you can't compare a three-bean chili to you know a Snickers bar. They're, yeah. just, they're just completely different universes. Yeah, so the, the processed food is uh, disassociated from all the fiber, and they've pulled all the nutrients away from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a complete, you just can't compare The question has to be compared to what, when we look at this analytically. Yeah. And so I guess just to touch on it, then well, the last one is, uh, is fats. So, um, obviously not all fats are equal either. Correct. There's different types of fats. They're fatty acids. There's only two categories that we know are considered essential from the diet. Those are the polyunsaturated omega threes and omega six fats. And, you know, we can get those plentifully in plants. And then the saturated fat, which is found, you know, this, we can get them in plant foods, but they're found especially concentrated in animal products. And the in plants are especially concentrated in the tropical oils like coconut oil. But those saturated fats, we have, you know, 60, 70 years of good data that high intake of saturated fat is linked clearly to elevated cholesterol, cardiovascular disease risk, type 2 diabetes risk, obesity risk, like directly tied from saturated fat. So, you know, it's a problem. And, and that's why all this stuff comes out and they have these research articles saying, oh, saturated fat is fine. Butter, butter is back. Is yeah. yeah. And it's because you're comparing it to refined sugars and flours. Of course, it looks bad. It looks as bad. And it, it really isn't. It's we are not. We even the American Heart Association, who is, you know, got all sorts of sponsors and not, you know, they're not an unbiased organ, you know, they're not like, you know, holistic and all that. They're yeah. the American Heart Association on their website. 
it states that they recommend no more than five to six percent of total calories coming from saturated fat. Well, an average vegan that's not consuming coconut oil and all that is getting about five to six to 7% of their calories from saturated fat. If you add one serving of animal product or tropical oil, you're going to bump that above and you're going to put yourself at a risk for cardiovascular disease. Oh, wow. Is, is there a lower tolerable limit? Like, is there a, an amount that is uh, function like you need? I, I guess it's not an essential fat. So exactly. You, you can it's not it essential. We do not need saturated fat. We can get, we make it ourselves. And that's why we get it mostly from animal products because it's made in their body and that's what people are eating. Yeah. Okay. Um, are, are there any particular plants that you recommend your recommend people avoid? Uh, avoid plants? Yeah. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, no, I mean, except for the tropical oils, I don't. I use them for my skin and my hair, but I don't recommend ingesting those. But other than that, I mean, have fun. There's a whole exciting world of delicious plant foods and opportunities to combine them and culinarily very diverse and exciting ways. So I just, I like people to just explore. And I feel like, you know, I grew up on the standard American diet and, you know, the, the center of the plate was a hunk of meat with a little bit of vegetable on the side that was never cooked well. <laughs> and this is an opportunity to go, wait a second, what if we reverse that? And what if we get all exciting and make bowls and soups and salads? And there's like so many opportunities that it just expands your vocabulary, your culinary vocabulary by leaps and bounds. Yeah, it's, it's not the same meat and potatoes all the time. Right. Yeah. So, so I guess the general rule is as long as it's not processed, like eat a whole coconut, but don't eat coconut oil. Yeah. And I wouldn't eat too much of the coconut itself, but yeah, I mean, definitely to eat the intact version. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's variety is important and, you know, eating as close to whole as possible because the processed foods I don't consider a whole, you know, like, I mean, you could, you could, you could cut a carrot and call it processed. So there's a whole spectrum sure, yeah. of processed, uh, and you processed. Want minimally processed you could say, and there's all sorts of ways to say it okay and but likewise if you look at i'm just looking up the word natural again in the fda guidelines and it's, it's still you know it could be up to 500 different compounds so the, the, the terminology is important but it's also extremely confusing yeah well natural like arsenic is natural but obviously it's not good for you exactly right yeah <laughs> um there's a big debate about smoothies um are you pro anti-smoothie Oh, I know this is okay. That's a tough question. I started with green smoothies. I'm like, yes, this is the answer to everything. And I found that it was so helpful for people to that weren't eating a plant based diet to start with a green smoothie, just incorporating a green smoothie into their day. And that was like the it was like the the what's the word when it's like your entree into it's like your, you know, your your first step in getting dipping your toes. And um and I still think they can be wonderfully healthy. They, they absolutely could be healthy. You know, it depends on what's in there, of course, because you can make a milkshake. It's not healthy. But if you're putting leafy greens and hemp seeds and, you know, some fruit or whatever in there and you're blending it up, I mean, how could anyone say that's bad? The only reason I would see any kind of possible, and it's not even a concern, it's just like for people that I work with, I'm doing a lot of weight loss now uh, with clients. I'm starting a company where we're focusing on waste. It's, it's lifestyle transformation, but we see dramatic improvements in terms of weight and getting people off their diabetes meds and hypertension meds. And what we see is um, smoothies enable you to eat a lot more and not get full from it. So it's just, mm. if for people that are trying to gain weight, they're really helpful because you just get more calories in without being overly full. Uh, that's the only concern I really have about them and just people putting stuff in them that you shouldn't be eating anyway. Yeah. Well, and that's not a problem with the smoothie. That's a problem with what you're eating. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not opposed at all to green smoothies. It just depends on what your goals are. Gotcha. 
yeah, it's a way to pack down calories for sure. And, and given that it's already essentially pre-chewed, the gastric emptying would probably be much quicker than if you were to eat the same contents, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I used to, I have videos of me stuffing my blender with as many greens, as much food as I could. I'm being so proud that I would get all that in. But then I realized, oh my gosh, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to lose weight and I was like, oh, this is getting really frustrating. And I realized I couldn't chew through all that. That would take me all day to chew through that whole blender. So once I started chewing it instead, it made a big, significant difference for me and for a lot of my clients as well. So, so use smoothies, but don't make it a part of your day necessarily, unless you're trying to gain weight. It depends. I mean, if you compensate for that, it just depends. There's so many variables. If you're going to have a green smoothie and I mean, it just depends on your whole day, you know, just, I, so generally speaking, they can be absolutely nutritious and you can make them fit into your diet if you want to. Okay. They like that. <laughs> That's a great cover your bases response. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So let's talk about supplementation, because obviously, if you're eating a whole food plant based diet, there are some supplements that you absolutely need to have like B12. And then there are some that you may need to have. What are ones we should be? what, What are ones we should be thinking about? Yes, I'm begging everyone that's on a plant based diet exclusively and everyone that's over the age of 60 has to take a vitamin B12 supplement. And we just did the calculations for a recent article that came out in the Journal of Geriatric Cardiology. And what it, the best way to absorb B12 is to take either 50 micrograms twice a day, 150 micrograms once a day, or 2,500 micrograms once a week. And we recommend cyanocobalamin form of, of B12. And it's just, it's very, very important because you know, B12 is made by microorganisms in the soil. It's not inherent in the animal product, except for like ruminant animals actually have all that bacteria in their rumens and that's how they have all the B12. But um, it's found in the soil and the animals eat it or, you know, we eat it if we don't clean our foods, but I like to, I don't like to bite into soil dirt. (laughs) So we wash our food. So we do, we absolutely do need to get it. And, you know, you can get it. There's some in fortified foods like plant milks and nutritional yeast. But because so many vegans are popping up as deficient in B12 and it's so cheap and safe and effective to just pop a supplement, I highly recommend everyone just do it and not have to worry about it because you can, you won't see it in your blood work until it's too late most of the time. Yeah. And it, it's, you can't get too much of it. So there's no risk of over consuming. Yeah. I think that the idea that it's a, because it's a water soluble vitamin, I don't think there's ever been a case of reported toxicity. I've not seen one. And so, um, it is a very safe nutrient just to take. Excellent. Are, are there any others we should be thinking about? So interestingly, and not exclusive to plant-based eaters is the vitamin D conundrum. So worldwide, all of a sudden in the last, I don't know, few years, it's kind of become the vitamin du jour, but it, it kind of looks like around the world, we've got this like vitamin D deficiency. And this has nothing to do with our diet. We're supposed to get vitamin D from sun, but a lot of people stay out of the sun. A lot of people are afraid of the sun. A lot of people wear a lot of sunscreen. A lot of people are indoors a lot. Um, there's all these different variables that come into play for vitamin D. So I just recommend people get tested instead of blindly supplementing. Uh, we can, you can take about 2000 IU a day of vitamin D that's safe too, but it is a fat soluble vitamin. So you don't want to overdo it. So I just have my clients get tested for their D levels. And if they're deficient, then I have them supplement and there's way, there's all sorts of ways to supplement, but that's the other one. And then the other thing that's interesting is that actually there was a new study that just came out today about omega-3 fats, but you know, we get our omega-3 fats on a plant-based diet from things like 
that from a, one form of the omega-3 fat called ALA. So from stuff like hemp seeds and flaxes and chia seeds and walnuts and stuff like that. And we converted in our bodies to EPA and then to DHA, longer chain fatty acids. But what they found is that vegans don't have as much of those longer chain converted fatty acids as do people that eat fish because the yeah. fish are doing all the conversion for you. So because we don't know if there's any implications, because vegans tend to have lower incidence of cardiovascular disease and, and even Alzheimer's and stuff like that that are have been linked to omega-3 fats, um, we just started recommending supplementing with the EPA DHA. Linked to omega-3 fat deficiencies, right? Yeah. Possibly. Not okay. just just associations with the nutrients. Okay. I I just wasn't sure if it meant if if you said that it was like uh, just the link to it of having more of them would be associated with these things or having less of it would be associated. Right. With and I, and I, we don't know. That's the thing. We don't okay. know the answer to that. We're just, we've seen those nutrients linked in some, some mechanisms with those, you know, just those pathways in the body. So there's just, there's just a lot of question marks right now. Um, and you know, you don't want to go tell people to have fish because, you know, fish has all the added pollutants and, Every person, even my parents would drive me crazy. I always have them get their mercury tested because they'll have fish even once a week and mm. they have elevated mercury levels. So there's all this stuff in the fish. But also like just a study came out today that um, omega-3 supplements don't, they may help reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease, but they don't actually help manage once you have the cardiovascular disease risk factors. So the, the research is just really burgeoning and I'm just having people take a plant-based microalgae formula um, sometimes just to cover our bases and make sure. Yeah. And so that's the preformed uh, EPA and DHA. Right. Because exactly. Because that's where the, the microalgae is where it starts from. And that's where the fish get it. Yeah. So if we just go directly to the microalgae and avoid the toxicity in between that or omit the middle fish. The shady middleman. <laughs> <laughs> I also, um, just to finish that up, I'm sorry. I, I think that um, because of our soil conditions and stuff like that, like I am kind of worried a little bit about iodine and selenium just because, you know, not everyone's eating Brazil nuts and not everyone's eating sea vegetables. So, you know, sometimes I recommend to my clients to take just a nice, um, gentle kind of multivitamin just to cover all those little trace minerals. But it's, it's not something that's necessarily a concern. It's just something to be aware of, you know? Yeah. Does it? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I know with uh, vitamin D, there's a U-shaped curve in regards to D levels and mortality, right? Like the, you can get too little, but you can also get too much. So it's, it's a balancing act. Yes, it really is. And, and on one hand, it's definitely a balancing act that we need to be aware of. On the other hand, I don't recommend people start calculating and counting and being concerned about these things because, you know, it'll drive you crazy. And I don't <laughs> think that necessarily helps. <laughs> you're just stressing all the time and your cortisol levels are through the roof. <laughs> right. right. It doesn't help. <laughs> and so I, I guess we should, I wonder if we should put a caveat in regards to uh, supplementation, because you mentioned sometimes you want people to take a gentle supplement. Because um, I know in a lot of cases, uh, high doses of individual supplements have shown to not have the same beneficial effects as the underlying foods in which those supplements would have been found. Like, for instance, high doses of vitamin E or beta carotene, stuff like that. Right. And not only are they just not helpful, they are deadly. Like those high doses of concentrated isolated nutrients increase mortality, increase. So exactly. Like we, we just, we really are supposed to eat just get our nutrition from food. It's just, there's so many, it's so complicated yeah. that, you know, it, yeah, we have to be careful. And then there's all these supplements that, first of all, they're not regulated by the FDA. So it's buyer beware. You just, you know, you don't really know what you're taking. And every time you read of those like consumer reports where they go and they take the supplement off the shelf and they test it and see what's actually in it, 
and it's never what it says on the bottle and there's additives or there's not this much and there's more of it. So it's, it's really kind of, it's, a, I really am uncomfortable uh, recommending supplements because you don't really know what we don't really know what we're getting and we don't know what we're um, taking. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a real murky frustrating fields. Well, and at the end of the day, I think they say the average person gets something like 8,000 different chemicals in their diet just from like the chemicals in food. So supplementing with a handful, even a handful in a multivitamin, you're, you're barely scratching the surface to compared to what is normally in a diet. Right. I mean, there's just so many factors. And if you think about how everything is synergistic and you know, this one compound intera- interacts with this compound, which interacts with your body a different way. That's just so complex. And, you know, we hardly scratch the surface on what we understand about that whole process. It's yeah. really, it's fascinating, but it's really complicated. Yeah. Okay, let's, uh, let's dive into some specifics. So in general, we want people to follow a whole food plant-based diet with as minimally processed. Um, are there any specific uh, recommendations that we want to give people at various stages in their life cycle? For instance, if, if someone's pregnant or for infants and children. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I have a chapter for like each section on that in my, because there are certain things to be aware of. It doesn't change that dramatically really, because essentially, you know, we just need to, if we're, if we're pregnant, or breastfeeding, you just need a little bit more of certain things. So, you know, you're going to eat a little bit more. But then the problem is that so many people, our biggest problem right now is that people are eating too much. And so I don't, you know, it's like, it's become even like pregnancy has become kind of like a gateway for obesity. That's a big issue hmm. that um, my business partner is writing about in his new book that with a, with an um, obstetrician, but it's just very, so there are different considerations. You know, there is like the folate that we need for pregnancy and there's you know, just, I could go on and on about each nutrient, each population, but it just, it it could take forever. (laughs) Okay. At the end of the day, eat whole plant foods. It really is that simple. As complicated as we can get with each nutrient and micromanaging everything, the more you eat a whole food plant-based diet, the less your risk for chronic disease. And that's the most important thing. And I recommend everyone just airs on the side of less. We just, we eat so much and so often and we're constantly in the fed state that that's, that is our biggest problem right now in healthcare. That is our number one problem is that we're just eating too much or eating too much of the wrong foods. And so would you consider someone that is already eating a whole food plant-based diet a part of that same population that's just eating too much in general? Or I would. I can't yeah. tell you how many people come to me that are having a hard time losing weight, even eating a whole food plant-based diet because they're eating too much. I mean, it's just, it's it's a big problem and it's, it's you know, we're, we're seeing all this interesting... Overfed, overfed and overfed on the wrong foods, but it's becoming increasingly a problem. I, I don't know if you saw the article, I'm sure, in the New England Journal of Medicine last, was a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, that now it's one in, it's two billion people in the world are overweight or obese. Yeah. Like one third of the, the world population is overweight or obese right now. And so if I could caution, you know, so, yeah, and the other thing is like with veganism specifically, it's very interesting because it used to be where you had to eat a whole food plant-based diet when you went vegan. Like there yeah. was no you know, choice. And now it's anything you could eat. I could eat vegan. And you look at these burgers that are on the market and these, you know, these plant-based, you know, bacon, cheese, cookies. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff now. It's just as bad for you. And I'm so worried that it's going to pollute our research and we're not going to see all these benefits of eating a whole food plant-based diet over the next, you know, the next generation. So yeah, it was the same parallel with gluten, right? Like originally gluten-free back in the day, you, you had to eat healthy, but now everyone has a gluten-free version of something that's terrible for you. 
Yeah, and gluten is not even an issue for most of the population. That's become an overhyped thing too. And the yeah. reason people feel better on gluten, on getting off gluten, is because they're not eating processed, you know, cookies, cakes, and breads, and <laughs> you know all that stuff. So that's a whole other thing. But yeah, I mean, there's so much you could do anything now. The, the processed food market is really ingenious at marketing. I mean, I've seen I've seen water with protein infused yeah. in it. You know, I mean, just it's so crazy nowadays. And you can so we have to be really careful. We have to really just go back to eating real food, real food from the ground. Do, do you have a recommendation in regards to cooked versus raw? I do. Um, they're both really important. I mean, I love, I I'm impressed with people that are, you know, doing hundred percent raw. It's very hard to do hundred percent raw, but I think we need both raw and we need some cooked foods. You can survive on all raw, but it's a little harder. And I don't think it's necessary because I haven't seen any research showing that a raw diet is healthier than a whole food plant-based diet, including some cooked foods. I mean, there are some nutrients that are better enhanced and better absorbed when they're cooked, like certain carotenoids and, you know, certain, certain nutrients that actually get enhanced by cooking. And, you know, if you think about soup where you're, you know, cooking out some of the nutrients into the broth, I mean, you're consuming the broth and, you know, that that's all really wonderful part of a healthy diet. So you can do, you know, 50, 75% of your diet from, you know, raw foods, you're getting plenty of those, you know, wonderful, nutrients before they get depleted. But um, I think it's it's a good to have a combination, a little bit of cooked food as well. It's just easier to get, you know, like starches, starchy vegetables and starchy whole grains, stuff like that's really good for satiety, yeah. you know, are easier to get to consume cooked for most yeah. people. How much raw sweet potato can you really consume? <laughs> right. Yeah. I've never even tried to have raw sweet potato. Have you? <laughs> I have. It's good. You can, oh, you can, cool. I've, I've spiralized it and put it on a salad and it's like crunchy. And, but again, you wouldn't want to eat the same, like I will eat three sweet potatoes cooked, but right. a little bit of a sweet potato raw. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. I got to try that. But yeah, exactly. My point. I, in fact, I had three sweet potatoes, I think yesterday, maybe two and a half big ones, oh, that's awesome. but yeah, I don't know about the raw. So yeah, exactly. I mean, if you think about sprouting your grains, you know, to, to get those grains in, it takes a long, it's a long process to sprout them. And it's, it takes a lot more chewing yeah. um, than if they're just cooked. So, I mean, you know, you can do, you can do it, but you don't have to do it. Okay. And so my last question is one I always ask my guests. Um, if you had one piece of advice for a path mender that's sitting on the fence or just starting their transition, what would that advice be? Have fun. Enjoy the journey. It really is you know, you can look at it two ways and everyone's so scared of it or intimidated by it or don't, don't understand how it works. And it really is much simpler than it sounds. And it should just be fun. Like what, what is that caviar lentil? What is that, you know, raw sweet potato? Like what are those things that I haven't tried yet? And just think of it as fun and have a good time on it because it should be fun. Life has, you know, life is short. We got to enjoy and we got to enjoy our food and food should be a pleasurable you know, experience and there's nothing negative. There shouldn't be anything negative associated with transitioning to a whole food plant-based diet. It's just a beautiful, exciting journey. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's great. Thank you so much for having me, Chad. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Take care. You too. Thanks. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mend It Pass podcast with Chadwick Hayward at www.menditpass.com. 
I'd like to remind you again that I have started a new Patreon account, which is linked at the bottom of this blog post. Um, but you can also find it at just patreon.com forward slash Mendit Pass. As well, feel free to check out Mendit Pass Spices um, and Mendit Pass Coaching at mendipass.com forward slash spices and forward slash coaching respectively. I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, you can email me at either contact or chadwick at mendipass.com. Thanks so much. See you all next time. Visit Mendipass.com and get back to bed now.